welcome to the Ron Johnson Discipleship Podcast. <laughs> Here we are today proclaiming the amazing truth that has shaped our entire world, and we're going to get into some more of that in just a moment. Uh, I, I am discovering, I mean, I obviously this whole podcast is devoted toward uh, the truth and the transformational truth of a Christian worldview, yeah. but I think this... Uh, this book that we're reading right now um, is really helping me even appreciate the impact of a Christian worldview at a deeper, deeper level. Uh, you know, we, we talk about the impact of the Bible on government. We talk about the impact of the Bible on freedom, uh, you know, the impact of the Bible on a myriad of things. But um, uh, especially today as we get into this topic of literature and how uh, you cannot really understand even the flow of Western Civ or Western Lit mm -hmm. without having a thorough understanding of the Scriptures. Um, and so, again, I just I guess I just pause here momentarily before I, I admire the fact of how color-coordinated we are today. <laughs> Don't we look... Those of you watching, just admit it. Some days, you know, we're not, we're not the best looking as far as coordination. But today, I, I just appreciate the fact we have hired a new... Um, Staff member who's dedicated just to helping us. A wardrobe, a yeah. <laughs> no, we have not. A wardrobe coordinator. For those, for those who are wondering where our budget goes. All right, that was uh, a lie. Yeah, that was a no, lie. But no. it looks as if we have somebody. So, so, who... so here's the deal. I have about four shirts, so there's always a 25 percent chance I'm going to wear this shirt. All right. So, so well, I nailed it. Yeah, if you wear green all every day or blue, whatever every podcast, there's a 25 percent chance that we're going to match. That's good so, to know because I, yeah, I, I'll keep that in mind now. Yeah. Yeah. The challenge I have, this is not a joke. This is oh, this is painful. Sure. My spring wardrobe tub, yeah. all, all of my wardrobe fits in that tub for spring. It's gone. We can't find it anywhere. I've looked, I have scoured my house. And now, I that's now, my whole wardrobe. Now you do have like basically, you know. Traveler pilgrims coming in their house every day, so <laughs> well, it's very easy if someone just. It might like, be in Colorado. I'm wondering if yeah, my son. It, it, it sounds like probably one of the dogs just kind of yanked it with with it as it's on the way yeah, back to Colorado. Is, this is traumatic, seriously, because the weather is changing. I think the Lord's trying to tell you something. <laughs> Buy some new clothes. <laughs> I'm receiving offerings to fund that new clothes wardrobe. If you want to yeah, write you can me a check, beyond, you know, expand beyond my little fort. No, I, be, I mean this has been a prayer request. So I, on future podcasts, I'm going to be saying, "Hey, the Lord <laughs> has come through." Yeah, the Lord come through. <laughs> You'll never believe special offering to Pastor Ron's wardrobe. Oh uh, yeah, he, so someone stole all his clothes. Yeah, so I'm you know I'm I'm hanging on on the Sunday wardrobe, but pretty soon <laughs> I can't like, be wearing flannel. Keep it cold, keep it cold, because <laughs> no. I got no short sleeves left. No, but anyway. Speaking of this book, you know, yes. I, I, I feel like it's so powerful for, for me. It's, you know, like if the last thing the fish notices is water. That's what kind of people say. Like, right, because it's, it's, it's his atmosphere. It's all he knows. That's all he knows. It's ubiquitous. And, and you know, as we study Christian worldview, I have a degree of understanding and appreciation for the world that's been created by biblical culture, growing up with the church and all that stuff, overtly Christian stuff. But again, seen through an Eastern perspective and an intellectual Eastern perspective, more and more just like, wow, I don't even understand some of these basic foundations of everything, of every goodness and, and infrastructure. Again, even the things that's used right now, the foundation of things that's used right now to attack Christians came from the Bible. Right, right. They're using our worldview to attack our worldview. Absolutely. And, and again... This is one of those things that's, at one point, it's amazing. You're like, the awesome world we live in, that we have cars and we have structure. We don't have to worry about, you know, people killing us every day. Like, this beautiful society yeah, we have doesn't happen by accident. Yeah. 
Oh, it absolutely. did not happen by accident. It is a unique expression come through the biblical worldview. But the scary part is we keep tearing it down piece by piece, thinking that, oh, it'll be fine. These are just in the patriarchy or this is just the, the, the evil of the Bible and blah, blah, blah. You start tearing down more and more the unintended consequences because right. we have no complaints. We're ignorant to the infrastructure will kill will will destroy society one day yeah, absolutely we'll, we we'll, get, we'll get into it on our next podcast the whole impact on ed- education in general <laughs> yeah. but what concerns me is is we've got um our state universities and that, somebody did a study on this they're like 90 some percent um led by liberals i mean so so there's no balance at all in our and the teaching of these important truths. So you're getting a skewed, one-side, liberal, God-hating, Bible-hating, Western Civ-hating you know, perspective that, as you said, really poisons the minds of our students because there's no critical thinking, there's no balanced teaching in most of our universities. In fact, if you come out in support of Western Civ and Scripture, you know, you might be looking at finding a new job somewhere else because of the cancel culture that we've talked about. So that's what concerns me is long term. If we don't start recovering some of the truths we're talking about today um, in higher education, it won't be long before the people seeking to lead us are absolute pagans who have no understanding or no appreciation for the world in which we live, which uh, Pastor Andrew was alluding to this book that we're talking about. It's called The Book That Made Your World, how the uh, the Bible created the soul of Western civilization. And right now our soul is under attack. Our soul yeah. is, 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 is rotting, not because we don't know the truth or have the truth, it's because we don't go back and teach the truth. Um, the truth is available for us. Yeah. And so we get into the topic today, literature. Why did pilgrims build nations? And he starts off by making a really strong statement. No one can understand English lit. Now, that, that's a broad spectrum, like English lit, right? We've all, if you've been to college, there's, a, there's coursework called English lit, you know, and yeah. it gives you a survey of all the great works. But, but he's making a, a profound truth. Um, you cannot understand English lit without first reading the Bible. That's, that, that's a big statement. Uh, and then he goes on in this chapter to try to back that up. Why is why is that the case, and why is the Bible so important? So the basis he's trying to make is just like the Bible's foundational in ways that we don't even notice anymore in technology, in language, in the culture that we have, in the innovation we have. Those are so the the impact of Bible is so foundational and so I guess archaic. Not that right. it's outdated, but it's just in the, yeah. it's we're not we don't teach it anymore. The, the same way it has that type of impact on literature in a way that we don't even notice anymore. Right. The, the figures of speech, the themes of the Bible, yeah. all of these things find themselves embedded in English lit that followed. The uh, greatest stories, the greatest literature, the greatest yeah. uh, 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 books that inspire people to change came from the Bible. Yes. Yeah. And so he, he gives a great example, for instance, on, on, on just a fundamental way in which the Bible is different. He says, mm-hmm. you know, when you read the Bible... He says it has a ring of truth. Yeah. In other words, you, you, you compare it with um, Greek and Roman literature or, or like, say, Homer and the uh, Odyssey, um, uh, Iliad. The, the Iliad, these types of, of – this was the ancient lit that we remember being introduced to in, in college. Um, he says the, the characters in these epic works, right, 
have a ring of uh, superhero, like modern day superheroes. You know, yeah. there, there's something about them that they, we either we glorif- we over glorify certain strengths, or we make them in such a way that they become um, almost unrelatable. And yet, he compares that, for instance, with um, you know the biblical characters like Abraham, for instance. You know, Moses is uh, is attributed with the writings of uh, you know the Pentateuch, Genesis, mm-hmm. Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. And yet Moses came years after Afterward. them. So in other words, this was oral tradition, you know, handed down. And what you what you would expect to get uh, is a character who has been cleaned up over the years or embellished, embellished over the years, yeah. given some steroids, right? Yeah. Uh, some superhuman steroids. And yet when you encounter Abraham, for instance, there's nothing... In other words, the focus of the Bible is not on blowing up the character of Abraham into some superhuman, uh, unrelatable kind of man. He's very relatable. In fact, the phrase he uses is, is the Bible's characters have feet of clay. So Abraham, we, we run into Abraham and, I, uh, Abraham and Sarah, and they're like beyond the age of childbirth. And God starts promising that they're going to be, you know, he's going to be the father of many nations and have, have seed that mm. will be more than the sand on the ground. And, and you're looking at this guy going, wait a minute, he's weak. And he talks about Abraham and Isaac. They both lie about yep. their wives because yep. their wives are beautiful and they're afraid their yep. wives are going to be taken into some wicked king's harem, right? right? And so they're not these super strong, like, touch my wife and I'll make you pay, you know, right. Arnold Schwarzenegger characters. Right. They're weak. And they're liars, and they're afraid, and, and they're, they're very much people that we identify with, right. not the people we put on a pedestal. We go, no, how, Abraham, how come you lied about your wife? Isaac, you did the same thing. You know, why aren't you more courageous? Right. Um, I mean, it's, it, it, it's just a ring of truth that, that the Bible has that other books just don't have. And there's no, another powerful element right now. If, if you follow movies and cinemas like I do, the one thing that critics talk about all the time is that there is no there is either a powerful story arc or there's no story arc it's a bunch of flashy picture what that means the hero went went through a journey and learned something and grew grew in a certain way they didn't just beat the bad guys that's that's not compelling enough but but there's an internal conflict there's a growth and there's a journey well you look at these uh, these these Greek heroes or uh, these legendary mythical heroes I mean they were just either really cunning or really smart or really strong but if you look at these biblical patriarchs, there was a, I mean, look at the journey of Jacob, right? Yeah. The art that he well, went even through that, from even a liar. That, even that, that uh, theme of journey yeah. that the Bible establishes so powerfully, it's a theme that Western literature has taken on. We all love a good journey. Yeah. You know, the latest, the one that I happen to enjoy, of course, is uh, the Lord of the Rings. What an epic yeah. journey! A literal journey. Yeah. yeah, you know, from a little Hobbit to the the, uh, you know, to Mordor, yeah. where he's destroying evil. I mean, and and that again, that, that that of course was inspired by the Bible. It's the simple little Hobbit, a normal human being with feet of clay, yeah. large hairy feet like hobbits have, um, who is on. Uh, 
a supernatural, impossible journey to defeat evil. Well, wh where did these ideas come from? They come straight from the Bible. Right. Uh, you look at Abraham, he's told to go to, go, go to another country, leave his family, leave everything yeah. familiar, and God will make a great nation out of him. He's, in other words, he has to go somewhere. He has to, he has to leave. He has to, he has to be moving. He has to follow God. He has to listen to the voice of God. He has to obey. Yeah. But over and over again, the Bible shows us that extraordinary things happen in the lives of very simple, very relatable people like you and me. I mean, Moses is one of the probably the most powerful depicted journey. Um, yeah. In fact, that he, you know, he was a prince. He was living privileged, but he identified with the, with his people. But then he had anger issues. He killed somebody, and then when a guy encountered him at 80 years old, he was a reluctant hero. And I thought that archetype yeah. of the reluctant hero yeah. was very interesting because he didn't want to do this. Right. But you, through his journey, he grew in confidence. He grew in faith. He did so great things for God. Moses was full of excuses. Right. Mm -hmm. yep. he, he knew all the reasons. He knew who he was and who he wasn't. Yep. And he said, "I can't talk." And God said, "I'll send you." You know, uh, uh, Moses and Aaron, I'll get, he'll, he'll help you. He'll be your voice, you know. But that again, that idea of reluctant hero, we that appeals to us. Like one of my favorite movies is The Patriot. I can't think of a more reluctant hero. He's basically saying, look, been there, done that. He literally was like, I'm not doing that. I'm staying out of this. Yeah. yeah, and in fact, his son ridiculed him and called him basically a coward for for not stepping up to fight. And so he was like, no, I care about my family. I've been in war before. Nobody should rush into war. I mean, like he, he's like, no, it doesn't matter what you say. You know, I, I, I need to be here. I need to be at home. I need to be a dad. I need to be here for my kids. I mean, it is the... <laughs> the quintessential epic of the uh, reluctant hero, you know, and and the Bible again is full of folks like this who, who simply re how about how about David, you know, yeah. is there not a cause, you know, he, right. he it wasn't like he's trying to be somebody, he, he his focus was on the on God, his focus was on the challenge at or hand. Gideon, yeah, I mean. Who am I? A no, great mighty warrior. He's yeah, there hiding. He's hiding in the middle of day of thrashing wheat because he doesn't want anyone to see. You know, I, I just recently saw, um, we were just talking about um, Top Gun Maverick. You oh, know, yeah, one of yeah. the biggest grossing movie. And it was just a good old fashioned story, you know, redeeming arc. Nothing like, no, no agenda pushed on me. And, and again, what was so interesting about this character that made billions of dollars? It was a reluctant hero who has flaws, who made mistakes. Yep. And he didn't really want to do it. I can't do it. I can't do it. But when, but because of the people he loves, because the the, the call on his life, yep. he says, you know what? I got to enter into that. That inspires so many people. Yep. Where did that come from? It comes from the Bible. Well, and in some way, they're just thinking about this. You know, Jesus as the reluctant hero. You know, obviously he understood that there was an assignment that only he could fulfill a mission. Yep. And I think when he's in the garden, you know, and he's saying, Lord, if, if at all possible, can you take this cup from me? In other words, if it's possible to abort the mission, yep. let, let's do it. And yet he says, nevertheless, of course, not my will, but your will be done. Um, what a picture, again, of a suffering servant, uh, not seeking his own strength or glory. In fact, emptying himself, right, of all uh, of his godly uh, superpowers, so to speak, right? Uh, taking on human flesh in the incarnation, uh, hu coming humbly to uh, to take our place. That whole idea of sacrifice, too. Not only not only the reluctant hero, um, but the the biblical theme of sacrifice. It runs through so much, even Shakespeare and some of those folks that that use that powerful theme of, of sac the sacrificial leader, the one who lays down his life or his agenda or his dreams. 
you know, for other people. Yeah. Um, what was that uh, Bruce Willis movie where, where he he basically lays down his life to save the planet, right? No, I'm not. Oh, Armageddon. Armageddon, you know. Again, <laughs> we, we, anytime there is sacrifice in yeah. a movie where the where the star, the hero that you've come to love, all of a sudden the, the twist is he willingly yeah. gives Gladiator. his Gladiator. Well, how about the lady, even in the, you know, I'm not a big uh, Marvel guy or whatever. Yeah. But isn't who? At the very end, yeah. Uh, Tony Stark, Iron Man killed him. Iron so, Man. Yeah. Spoiler alert for those who haven't seen the movie <laughs> five years ago. <laughs> yeah. That would be That's me. on you. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but anyway, like, where, where does this idea of a, the sacrificial hero yeah. even come from? Ideas co have consequences right. and ideas come from somewhere. Right. And the point that we're making today is that a lot of these incredible themes that shape our culture. Right. Like the Greeks wouldn't, the Greeks wouldn't celebrate a sacrificial hero. They was all about power, right? That's right. why the gospel, the Bible says, is a stumbling block, because how do you have a savior who's not, you know, Messiah, who's not a conqueror, and yet Jesus did conquer, but he didn't conquer in the way that they expected. And so, right. you know, to the to the Jews, it's 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 offensive, uh, and to the Greeks, it's like what you know that's your that's your hero nailed to a cross, beaten beyond recognition. I, I think the other issue. Is that? Oh, I just lost my mind. Um, <laughs> Wait, sorry. Where'd it go? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, conquering hero. We, we were talking about conquering hero. We're talking about sacrificial, sacrificial hero journeys. Oh, I just thought I lost my mind. <laughs> no, sorry. No I have problem. another point to make. Um, is the Bible is also is not just to entertain us, right? Because all these Greek heroes. Oh, I know. I was gonna say. Okay, I'll come back to this point. In the Greek worldview, yeah. there's no there's no good and evil. I mean, I remember reading, studying Greek myths in, in Latin class, four years Latin class. I know, I know more myths than I can count. I read all these. I had to, you know. And yeah, then yeah, yeah. There is no clear good and evil. I, I think even as we kind of made some of these Greek stories into like our Western Civ um, movies, yep. we almost add a Christian idea of good and evil to those movies. Right. But in the original Greek, uh, original Greek stories and mythology, Roman mythologies, like. Zeus is terrible, right? From the Western Cypress, but from the biblical, but he's terrible. But he's the god; he's the god of all gods, right? So, like, who dictates what's good and who's bad? Yeah. And that's just they're this capricious. Crazy you, you don't you don't know whether they're good today, bad today. Yeah. Uh, it doesn't matter whether you personally are good or bad because yeah. they they do bad things to good people and they do bad things to bad people. It's yeah. like so, why try? You know, if the, if those are the gods you're trying to please then you're just trying to survive and take the take the easiest way out and even take the path of compromise if necessary because you just don't want Zeus to be messing with you. That's you know? all it is, right. <laughs> I mean, but you can't make sense out of a world like that. There's no predictability. You know, so when you come to the Bible, you have themes like good and evil. Like yeah. God is a God, a good God. He is a God who punishes evil. He is a God who rewards the righteous. In other words, there's like a set of, there's a, a set of rules which make help us make sense out of our world, whereas when you're living in the Greek and Roman world, there's no sense in your world. It, it's just like you say, you don't know what to expect from these gods because they're 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 evil and wicked all mixed what, together. What causes there to die for when the, the the cause that got like Hercules, he was sent to the whatever labor, twelve labors to redeem his thing. But then he, re because of his flaw that he, I think he like killed his wife or daughter accidentally, or whatever. But he killed them because he got like uh, hypnotized by some other gods, and it's just yeah. like th there's no like. It was it really his fault? And it, as he redeemed these tasks, he's doing it for another wicked god, and 
Well, there's yeah. no cost to lay your life down for. You know what I'm saying? Absolutely. But there's no good and evil, clearly a good and evil, and there's not transcendent cause. Why we? All, why should we sacrifice? Yes. You know? And, and the reality of our world is there is evil, so you have to make sense out of it. I mean, you don't have to have... We, whether or not the Greeks or Romans helped us understand it, the point is every human being encounters evil. There is injustice in the world. Yeah. And we don't need some philosopher to explain it to us. It's like, that was wrong. You know, that hurts. That's wicked. Why did you do that? I mean, that's the justice and, and, and understanding of justice and injustice is built in us as creatures made in the image and likeness of God. So when you come to the Bible, this is another thing I love about the Bible. It's not sugar-coated. There is ugly stuff. I remember when we did the series on shame and we started off with the rape of Tamar. The Bible includes the the worst of, of the human condition. Yeah. Uh, and, and sometimes you read it and you're shocked. About sh the king's daughter. About yeah. the king. Yes. It's not some common person. It's exactly. like the, the David, you know? Yeah. And, and so you see evil up close and yeah. personal. But the Bible gives us an understanding of where it came from why it's here, and where everything's going. It, it gives us a theme of redemption, for instance, mm -hmm. that even if you started off evil, you don't have to end up evil. Yeah, yeah. And again, you look at the Hindu worldview. It, it, it's all about karma. It's all about uh, a caste system. It's about stay in your lane. Yep. It's about, you know, you're not going to ever rise above who you are, who the gods have de destined you to be, fatalism. But you encounter the Bible, and you see somebody, for instance, like like Jacob, who was a liar and a conniver and a and a wicked man, a selfish man, and yet he encounters the Lord. He wrestles with God. God breaks him. God changes his name. God changed it, which was which was significant of changing a person's character. And the Jacob you first encounter is not how the, the Jacob that you end up with. Yeah. And so the Bible is a book of hope. It, it says, look, if you've made mistakes, if you've been an evil, selfish person, if you've done things you're ashamed of, you don't have to stay that way. Yeah. And to me, some of the greatest um, stories that we go and we watch and we read are stories of transformation. It's stories that says, this is who a person was, but this is how they ended up. It, it's stories of family redemption, marital redemption, uh, a personal redemption. Maybe the person was an alcoholic or a criminal uh, or uh, uh, took somebody's life. Um, but you look at what at the process of, of the grace of God on their life. That's another big theme in, in Western literature, grace. Um, and you look at the power of grace, the power of forgiveness, and you see that a person does not have to stay who, who they were. And that's inspiring to us because yeah. every one of us has faults and foibles that we wish we didn't have and things about ourselves that we don't like and decisions or choices we made in our youth, you know, that we wish we could go back and do over. And yet the Bible is so full of hope for people. Yeah. Like you don't have to be stuck. And so when it comes to the subtitle of this chapter, Why Did Pilgrims Build Nations? The fact is there was no nation building stuff in the minds of other cultures because, again, fatalism said you were stuck. Uh, you know, there's no good or evil, or all there is is good and evil, but we don't know how, how it all works out. There's no sense of justice. We don't know how to deal with the problem of evil. Yep. How do we deal with the problem of human nature? Human beings are so selfish. Is there really any hope that we right. could that we can bring about societal transformation? And, and again, the point of this is the Bible provides 
the worldview for all of this kind of stuff and really leads to, uh, I think, as the, as the author said, Western writers anchored themselves to the truth in the Bible. And once they anchored themselves, they were able to fly into all different, you know, visions of a better future. But their, but their feet were standing on a solid rock because the Bible claimed to be truth. Yeah. And, and it was truth. Uh, they provided the basis for then engaging in the world around us. Can I read this quote right Absolutely. here? Absolutely. Far from seeking, like Homer, merely to make us forget our own reality for a few hours. Yeah. <clears throat> the Bible, <coughs> excuse me, seeks to overcome our reality. Overcome our reality. We are to fit our own life into its world, feel ourselves to be elements in this structure of universal you know, universal history. Yeah. I mean, this this is the difference between, like, Watching a, a office or some sitcom just to entertain you, right? Versus, like I mentioned, watching Saving Private Ryan. And even though I don't live in World War II right now, I'm not a soldier in World War II. The timeless truth, the 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 the, the impact, the stories are so convicting, so inspiring that it's powerful enough to not just change me personally, but to change nations and change infrastructure and change governments to birth new nations. That's the power of the literature of the Bible. Yes, and I, you know, you, perfect example. You know, I got kind of a funny story. I took my wife away on a, a romantic getaway and I, we had came up with this great idea, we thought, that while we were away, we would watch a movie we had wanted to watch for a long time, Saving Private Ryan. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Oh, a getaway. Not, not, not a romantic chick flick, as you guys all know. And we're sitting there watching. you never seen that before? That was the first time That was the first time. Oh, my goodness. And the first 10 minutes of that movie or 15 minutes, you're just absolutely stunned because you're, you're thrown right in the middle of Normandy, yeah. right? Normandy Beach. And you're just watching the slaughter of, of American lives, young men. Uh, on that beach going after, you know, Hitler's Nazi war machine. And, you know, it's gruesome, it's graphic, it's real, it's about as real as, as any kind of war movie could depict. And, you know, it, it just stuns your senses because you realize that this, again, the themes we just talked about, good versus evil, mm -hmm. willingness to lay your life down for a cause that matters. Mm -hmm. I mean, secularism provides none of this, you know, as we'll get to in just a moment. There, there's no basis for sacrifice for anything. Life is meaningless. Why, why give your life for anyone or anything? But then you go to Saving Private Ryan, and you realize this was, you know, as Tom Brokaw mentioned in his book, the, the greatest generation. I mean, these were 18-year-olds who were uh, coming off those boats and charging, you know, head-on into... Uh, just the most demonic, wicked, hideous evil that planet Earth, you know, mm -hmm. was experiencing at the time with Hitler. And uh, and again, you're just you're stunned, you're inspired, you're nauseated by just evil, uh, bloodshed, uh, and yet you're inspired to realize that you come away going, you know what? There's things worth fighting for. And um, and so, but I don't recommend that for a romantic. Yeah. Chalk uh, that up for if you're trying to wind down. <laughs> yeah, relax. <laughs> I, I think I forgot where I watched it, and I was not prepared for it. It wasn't just the beginning. You you think the beginning is like okay, the worst part is over. Oh, the ending. Jeez, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, was, but it's war, and and I war. think it's to real, your to your reality. point. Yeah. To your point, other writings try to help you escape. The Bible puts you right in the middle of real life yep. and gives you, and here's, I guess, the thing, it gets back to the journey. 
The Bible is a message of redemption from beginning to yeah. end. It, it explains where evil comes from. Yep. You know, and to go back to, to our biblical worldview, you know, every, every worldview should be able to answer four inescapable questions, yeah. right? Origins, how we got here. Meaning, what's the point of it all? Morality, what is right and what is wrong? And then destiny, mm. where is this going? And again, the worldviews that are cyclical, Hindu worldviews, Buddhist worldviews, they don't answer those questions effectively. What Christianity does, we know where we started, we know where the problem came from. We know the meaning of life. We know we understand morality. The, the Bible clearly says this is good and this is evil. And then it gives us the blessed hope, as we call it, the kingdom of God. We're moving, and I've been preaching on this, but we're moving toward the climax of human history uh, with Christ's return. And so it gives us hope. And so even in the midst of the pain and suffering of life, we still have hope because yeah. it's not meaningless, and we know... History is moving somewhere. Where did those ideas come from? They're biblical ideas. Those are biblical truths that, that are immersed. They are built into the psyche of what it means to be an American. And if we lose the Bible, we lose these great truths, which is why, you know, when, when we go overseas, Americans are known for being visionaries. We're known for being people who are proactive, problem solvers, Whereas certain Eastern cultures are not wired that way at all. And you're like, well, why don't you think this way? Why don't you, how come there's no like paradigm in your brain for being proactive? And it's because their worldview completely, there's no, there's no room for that. You're just, you're just a victim. You're, it's a fatalistic worldview. It doesn't matter what you do. You're, you're, you're a victim of a system and I see that happening as we lose the, the Christian worldview in America. There is a victimization that, oh, yeah. that is coming over our culture where people are, oh, you're just, you're a part of systemic this or systemic that. It's not your fault. You can't really change anything. And it, it's a, it shows you how far we've gotten from the, the worldview of the Bible. Western Civ is the, the fruit. That's, a, that's I think, it's a good way. Mm -hmm. The fruit, the consequences of the Bible is the downstream yep. of not just a Catholic church version of the Bible in which only the priests have it, but but when the Bible's democratized, like we talked before, Western Civ is a result of that. And is Western Civ, Western European nations, whatever, always great? No, there's corruptions and everything. But the overall innovation and growth, I think the, the, the best example comes to mind is, and I grew up in Taipei, you know, Asia. Taiwan, Taipei has a has a degree of Western influence. A lot of yep. Christians, but still, it's in the East. I grew up in the you know, and my dad was, was a pastor, but he also taught in the seminary. So I I, grew, I, I lived in the seminary. I, okay. I grew up literally in the seminary, in like dormitories. Yep. And one day, and there was teachers from the West, from America, to come and teach. And one day, uh, my parents took me to one of the houses or dormitories or whatever, like staff housing for one of these missionaries or teachers from from America. And I remember, because that's all I knew. All I knew was just Taiwan stuff. I remember walking into this teacher's house. I still remember that. Hmm. And it felt amazing. There was carpets. It was decorated. It was wow. typical Midwestern house, right. probably, I'm right. guessing right now. I remember walking there. I'm like, why? I remember even as like a three or four-year-old kid. I'm like, what is this contrast? Why is it I don't want to leave this house? 
It feels so homey. It feels yeah. welcoming. It's nice. You go to most Asian houses in Asia, it's cold. There's no carpets. It's very minimalistic, but not like minimalistic because I'm trying to be minimalistic. Minimalistic because I just don't think about it, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and just like you go to a typical American house, especially in the Midwest, yeah. It's there is a, there is a flavor of welcoming. There's a flavor of 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 like peace, I want peace. tranquility. Yes, yeah. just the decors and whatnot. And I remember just even as a young kid in that moment, I'm like, there is something different. Mm. What is this? Now, forty years later, as I'm reading this book, I remember that I had that memory. I'm like, now I see the the the, the evident fruit of Western Sith. Wow. And, and we were all Christians. And those were ideas that were translated right. from a, a a concept, a spiritual thing, into a physical thing. Into the thing. physical realm, yeah. which is what has true impact on nations and cultures and families and whatnot. Yeah. You know, it wasn't like I wasn't a Christian. We we're all Christians, but the Western Civ impact has has profound influence beyond just in the local like church or missionary setting into impact into all aspects of society that we have no clue of. Wow! So no, anyway. that's an, that's the first time I've ever heard you share that. I didn't remember until I was reading this book. I was like, I, I mean, that memory came to me. I was like, as a kid, I always wonder. What is the fundamental difference? I was yeah. concerned big worldview and, questions at three and, years old. No, absolutely. You didn't know the the framework, but yeah. you could feel and experience. Oh, something. absolutely. Uh, it was very different. And now I you understand different. some of the why. But that's why it's it's amazing when you go to different nations and you 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 just look at like why do why do they do what they do? Yeah. It it all comes from a worldview. And you can clearly see differences in thinking, differences in how you live, what you tolerate, legal systems, governments, uh, economic systems. All of these things flow out of their religion. That's why all of life is religious in nature. Every worldview is religious in nature. Uh, and then you begin to understand why. So you understand the redemptive gifts God has placed in different cultures based on their view of the world. And yeah. the ones that line up with his view are the ones that bring blessing anywhere that we go. So we can certainly learn from every culture, but cultures immersed in the Bible have even more to teach us about freedom and liberty and some of these things. So a little, little trivia question that he's talking about here, ideas that have been uh, instrumental in shaping nations or nation building. Yeah. And uh, this would be a great trivia question for those who are watching our podcast today. Next to the Bible, okay, so what is the, the Bible's the most translated, most printed book in the world. Bestseller. Bestseller. What is the number two all time printed books, translated books in the entire world? I, I bet most people would I would know. never guess that, this, this book. And it yeah. is the book, uh, John Bunyan's book, Pilgrim's Progress. And again, Bunyan is an amazing guy to read and study. Uh, he spent a total of about 12 years in prison simply for being a nonconformist preacher. In other words, he, he was not apply, uh, he was not submitting to the code at the time, uh, and yet he refused on the basis of conscience like so many other reformers. He was a, a prisoner of truth. He was reading the Bible, and the conclusions he came to from the Bible made him be a prisoner of conscience. And so he didn't have to stay in prison. He could have renounced what he believed, and he could have gone along to get along. Sure. But he himself was influenced by the Bible and was a reformer and a nation builder. Um, Twelve years in prison, his his Bible was translated, or his book uh, Pilgrim's Progress translated into two hundred languages. And you know, you look at who who his character was in in that book. It was a man carrying a heavy burden on his back, armed not with a weapon, but but with a book, armed with the Bible. And he was on a journey to the celestial city, yeah. and he was looking to get free uh, from the sin and the temptations that we deal with as human beings. And that that book again, next to the Bible, that book formed 
uh, the Puritan concept of the world. And as you pointed out, it was the pilgrims who came to America looking for a place to practice their faith freely, looking for the new Jerusalem, looking for a city whose builder was God and who was formed and shaped by God, a city. And uh, and that was so much a part of the imagery, uh, America being a city set on a hill. All of these ideas come from the Bible, these concepts, the, the phraseology, the language, uh, the metaphors, uh, the framework, you know, all of this is biblically immersed. And so, um, again, pilgrims coming to America inspired by a man who wrote a book about the scriptures and about the reality and the worldview that comes from the Bible. So let's end with this, because I, I thought this was very depressing. Life in the, or literature in the secular West. When literature is not in shape, shaped by Western ideals that are rooted in the Bible. So you have no God, you have no meaning, you have no morality, you have no purpose, you have basically nihilism. What do you have to write about that's inspiring? There's, there's nothing that's inspiring. And so you get authors, these, these were authors who shaped much of the uh, 60s revolution, like Jean-Paul Sartre, who wrote his work, Nausea. Imagine writing a, a work <laughs> that you call Nausea, right. because that's really captures the whole essence of the work. Right. Uh, human existence to Sartre was ludicrous. So if life is ludicrous, everything is ludicrous, there is no meaning, then what you're going to write about will reflect that. And at the end of the day, like, who wants to read that? It's not even, it's just depressing. Uh, or somebody like Albert Camus, The Stranger, uh, again, about just random acts of meaningless violence in a world uh, that is ultimately meaningless itself. So you live for the moment. That's why we talk about you know, getting high, having random sexual encounters, uh, alcohol, uh, and getting a buzz. You know, what, what, yeah. whatever, just, whatever feels good, do it. That really got, inspires young people to lay their life down for a cause, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, it's all about, at the end of the day, it's all about me and my momentary pleasure. Because life is meaningless, you're going to die, you'll you'll cease to exist. Everybody just cares about themselves anyway. There are no absolutes. There's yep. nothing really worth living for or dying for. Makes me wonder, even in our culture today, when when you lose God and you lose the Bible, what what happens in terms of military might and prowess? You know, we have we certainly have are technologically advanced. But we're spending most of our time in the military right now transgenderizing our military. Right, I mean, right. like, are you kidding me? We're, we've got men that have become women paid for with American tax dollars. And, and like, what are you guys willing to that's fight for? Call. That's what's good. Uh, that's yeah. considered good. Yeah. Right. So I just shudder to think, you know, when you watch, like, Saving Private Ryan, you know, who's going to storm the modern-day beaches yeah. to fight these kind of battles when you've completely rotted out from the inside because you've lost the very foundation of what made Western civilization great, right. which is the Bible uh, and the ideas contained in the Bible. Um, he says here, maybe a good place to end, the Bible's impact on literature made it the West's source of cultural authority. A rejection of the Bible is resulting in moral and intellectual anarchy. And so this is what's happening in higher education today. We throw out the source of any absolute authority and objectivity. What we're left with is meaninglessness. And then we wonder why we're seeing a massive decline in internally. Like we're, It's not anybody outside threatening us. 
We are literally rotting from within with lawlessness, purposelessness, uh, moral depravity, drug addiction, alcohol addiction, um, breakdown of the family. I mean, the list goes on and on and on. But it's because we've, we've lost the source of our strength and our authority, which is the Scripture. So until we return to the Bible, uh, until we return to, to a belief in truth with a capital T, not mm-hmm. personal truth, truth for everybody, uh, I don't know if there's any hope of recovery. I mean, it's, a, it's just a downward spiral into the abyss. Um, and, but again, as Christians, we always know there's always a hope for recovery because that's, that's what the Bible teaches. Yeah, and my fear initially was, when I read all this, it's like, well, there was the Dark Ages before. And there was the times before the Bible, and it's called chaos. And it's, to yeah. me, it's like it sounds like living hell. Okay, and I'm afraid we're as we're rejecting all this biblical truth, we're going to wind back down again. But the, the, but here's the difference, and here's where my hope is. Uh, my hope is in the Lord, but also just looking at history. Some ideas you just can't you can't erase. Yep. People have been trying to burn Bibles. Yep. You're literally burning Bibles, or you were just talking about somebody in Congress was trying to hide the Bible under some couch. <laughs> or in our in our higher education, people try to intellectually erase biblical ideas. But you, now that the Bible has been democratized, you can't put the genie back in the bottle. No, you're so right. So somehow the truth of the Bible will come out win out. Even right now with some of the, I look at pop culture, some of the stories, some of the movies that really are gaining traction and popular. They're not overtly Christian or anything like that, but they they they, they contain things and ideas from Bible. Yeah. And the movies that flopped are the movies that are like say nihilistic and there's about victimization and no one cares about. Yep. So there is a public longing and desire for truth. And I don't know with the, the the woke infestations, I don't know if they can ever conquer that longing for well, truth. It's part of what it means, I think, to be made in the image and likeness of God. Yeah. We 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 know that there is hope that we know that that there is there has to be a god we know that there has to be truth and justice it's part of what's in our the human heart yeah. I, I had a quote here from Corey tenboom who of course lived through hitler's holocaust she said i've experienced his presence in the deepest darkest hell that men can create I have tested the promises of the Bible, and believe me, you can count on them. I know that Jesus Christ can live in you, in me, through his Holy Spirit. You can talk with him. You can talk with him out loud or in your heart when you're alone, as I was alone in solitary confinement. The joy that he hears each word. And again, I love this. So here's someone that lived through, as you said, the the deepest, darkest hell that, that most people have ever conceived of. And she said, you can count on the promises of the Bible and the presence of God to be with you in the darkest seasons of life. That really is our hope. And that's our hope for America. That's our hope uh, for all of human history is that people return uh, to the God who gives hope. So uh, what a, what a great, uh, th- some great thoughts today. And I, I guess we can't leave today without encouraging you, be people of the book. We have Bibles. Americans are blessed with truth. Read the Bible. Study the Bible. Immerse yourself in Scripture. Let it shape the way you think. Uh, And in doing so, uh, you will experience uh, the greatest human happiness you can possibly experience by being biblically saturated people. All right. So uh, we look forward to seeing you next Thursday. Thanks again for tuning in. Please give us some comments, feedback, like it, share it, spread the word. We appreciate you and appreciate your help in getting this podcast out. All right. See you next Thursday.